It would be real easy when we get down to this point in the chapter to just rush ahead and uh, to go through these last verses, but verse number 30 is so very important that we're going to spend uh, the entire evening on this. Verse number 30, Paul says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. Now, looking back after speaking about who we are and what we have in Christ, and that's in the first three chapters of this letter, who we are, what we have in Christ. Now, in these last three chapters, as I said before, he's basically talking about what we should do, what we should do as a result of who we are and what we have. That's why the first three chapters deals with doctrine. The last three chapters deals with duty. It has to do with our responsibility. And the thing that stands out, especially in verse number 17, is the fact that we are to be different from the world. You see, our difference is our testimony. And uh, in order to do that, naturally, we've got to resist temptation because we're all tempted to sin, right? I mean, you, you never reach a place in this life to where you'll not be tempted to sin. You know, uh, when we think about that, maybe it would be helpful if we just started and asked ourselves this question, why not sin? Why not? Uh, it's pleasurable. Uh, I mean, you might as well not deny it. There's pleasure in sin. The Bible even says that. So, you know, if it's pleasurable, why not sin? Uh, sin can be a means of getting what you want, things that you don't have, something that you're wanting desperately. Well, you can get those things by sinning, so why not? Let me give you another reason. We can't lose our salvation. Why not sin? The Bible says that we are sealed by the Spirit, sealed unto the day of redemption. If that's not eternal security, I don't know what is. Sealed unto the day of redemption. So, uh, you know, I know some people despise the doctrine of eternal security, but that is so sad because they're depending upon something other than the grace of God to get them to heaven if that's what they believe. There is security in the believer. Jesus said, I'll give unto them what kind of life? Eternal life, and they shall never perish. So if I have it today and I lose it tomorrow, it wouldn't have been eternal yesterday, right? So it is eternal life. We can't lose our salvation, so why not sin? We can get things we don't have. Why not sin? It's pleasurable, so why not sin? So what is our motivation for refusing sin? Well, we could say it it hurts us. It'll hurt you when you sin. There's no way to get around that. You can't sin without it having a negative effect on your life in some way. It hurts you. It was really amazing this morning, Brother Joe Boyd and I were talking back to his brother. What's his name? Jeff. His brother was here. Now, I want you to keep in mind that, you know, Joe just, you know, and Cindy and Carl and Ingrid all kind of showed up out of the blue, and I I didn't have any record of knowing them or anything. 
But it so happened that Joe's daddy had been a preacher in Springfield and, and I think went to the Baptist Bible College there, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so we got to talking this morning, and you've heard me talk like, you know, 50 years ago, I cut my teeth preaching in a rescue mission on Main Street in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, it so happened that during our conversation that Joe and Jeff went there as little boys when their daddy preached and helped serve the, the people that were in the rescue mission. They served the meal there. And when they were little boys, they were in that mission Maybe at the same time I was preaching some night, I don't even know. But they were there serving. Now, I brought all of that up to say this. Whenever you, whenever you think about those that have hit rock bottom like that, and I used to think it was all, you know, the scum of the earth kind of people. But all of a sudden I began to realize in my conversation getting to know those men, some had been doctors and lawyers, some had had successful businesses, and, and because of alcoholism, it had just brought them down to the very bottom rung of society. They had lost absolutely everything they had. And I'm saying all of that to say this, sin will hurt you. You're not going to get out of it. You're not going to be the exception to the rule. So that's one reason why we shouldn't sin, one reason why we ought to resist temptation. But there's another reason. Sin not only hurts you, sin will hurt other people. Sin will hurt other people. You know, if it didn't hurt anyone but you, oh, it'd be bad, be terrible, but it wouldn't be quite so bad. But whenever we sin, somebody else always ends up getting hurt. And there are not enough words to describe the terrible damage that has been done in families as a result of sin. Whatever you do is going to have an effect on other people. So that's another good reason to resist temptation and not sin, don't you think? I mean, do you want to end up hurting your children? Do you want to end up hurting your spouse and, you know, hurting your family? Then, then don't sin. But there's a better reason than either one of those. Now, both of those are important. It'll hurt you. It'll hurt others. But there's another reason, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight when we sin, it hurts God. It grieves the heart of God. And that's why our text says, grieve not the Spirit. Now, notice that's the command. Grieve not the Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. Now, there are three things about that. Actually, more, but I'm going to talk about three things regarding that. When he says, grieve not the Spirit, number one, that reminds us that the Holy Spirit is a person and not a mere influence or power. A lot of times whenever we think about God, you know, a lot of folks got this idea that, you know, He's some kind of fuzzy cloud floating around up there somewhere, and, and, and they don't really think of God as being a person, but He is. And as we read the Bible, we know that... that he has feelings. We, we know that he knows. So he, you know, he has this consciousness, this awareness. We know that he loves, and consequently he hurts. And that's the point of this here, because the greater the love, the greater the hurt. You know, we, we can just totally ignore what strangers do. 
I mean, whether it's their rudeness or whatever it is, we, you know, they do something that that we don't like. That you know, it doesn't affect us all that much because we don't really have any affection for them. They're strangers; we don't even know them. But when someone loves someone deeply, and then whenever they end up hurting them, it hurts even more. So. When a loved one mistreats you, it grieves your heart. And when we think about God being grieved, think about this. We sing Amazing Grace. And so let me ask you this question. Do you think we can possibly measure the love of God? Remember the song we sang, O love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It reaches to the highest star and, and to the lowest hell. And You know the song, right? That's just another way of saying it. There is no way in the world that, that we can possibly understand or describe the greatness of God's love. Now, this word grieve is a very strong Greek word, and, and, and it, it, it's talking about the pain that is felt. For example, whenever the, whenever the Bible was speaking about the, the sorrow of the disciples when they learned that the Lord was going to be crucified, the very same word that was used to describe how they felt is the word that's used here. When the rich young ruler, whenever, whenever he left without Jesus, we find that that same word is used. There was grief. Whenever Peter had denied the Lord and failed the Lord so miserably, and then the Bible tells us of his of Peter's sorrow, it's the same word. So you can see what a strong word this is. And this is reminding us that God is a person, and God not only can rejoice in the good things about us, be pleased with our faithfulness, but God hurts when we sin. We literally hurt God. Now, you don't injure God in the sense that you make Him any less than what He is, but you hurt, you grieve the heart of God. And so, whenever we look at this command, it reminds us that God is a person. Secondly, it requires us to consider God's feelings. Because, you know, whenever we, whenever we think about hurting the ones that we love, uh, naturally we understand the seriousness of that, right? I mean, I don't think there's anybody here that feels like they've got a license to just in, intentionally go around hurting people they love, right? We, we, don't, we don't feel that way. We know we've got an obligation not to do that. Well, how much more is that true when we consider our relationship with God? The fact that we need to consider His feelings. That's why I said this morning, the, the one thing above everything that I want out of life is to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, just to know that he was pleased. Well, the opposite of that, the opposite of that is bringing grief to the heart of God. So this command reminds us God is a person. And it also requires us to consider God's feelings, but then it reveals certain important truths. It reveals the fact that God loves us. Because if He didn't love us, He wouldn't grieve. There wouldn't be any grief. You know, He'd just say, you know, go ahead and sin. If you want to hurt yourself, help yourself. Just go ahead. 
But God loves us. Now, I know because of the difficulties of life, there might be sometimes that, that people, you will question the love of God. And you hear folks say things like, well, you know, if, if God really loves us, why, why would God allow Grandma to die? Well, good night. She's 89 years old. What, what do you expect? And you'd be amazing at how many people are bitter because God took Grandma at 89 or 90 or whatever it is, you see. God loves us regardless of how it seems. Because we can talk about Granny at 90, but let me tell you, there are some things that can happen in your life that will cause you to wonder why God would allow it to happen. We, we think about uh, little Robin, the little cancer victim that has been here at our church. Uh, forgot her last name, but uh, y- you know her parents have had to wonder, why would God let this happen to my precious little girl? Well, whenever we think about the fact that God's heart can be grieved, it is reminding us and revealing to us that God loves us. And not only that, God is grieved because He loves others. God loves others. God doesn't want us to sin, to rebel against Him, because God knows other people are going to get hurt in the process. But then there's another reason. When it says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, This is a reminder here that God is holy. You know, so many times we don't understand why God, uh, to our way of thinking, gets all bent out of shape, as it were, if I can use that kind of, you know, just everyday language in reference to God, but that's the way we think of it, that God would get so upset over some little minor sin. I mean, how could that be? And maybe some people have even wondered, well, why in the world would God allow His own dear perfect Son to be crucified on the cross? Is our sin really that terrible? And other people wonder, well, how can it be that God would call somebody that is unsaved to suffer for all of eternity in a lake of fire? I mean, can sin be that serious? Well, it can if you're God, because God is perfectly holy, you see. I know you don't get it, and I don't get it. We don't understand that, because we're not holy like God is holy. But this is a reminder that we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, because God is holy. and We shouldn't do anything to offend that holiness. Now, that's the command, and I think by now we all understand it, right? We all understand, grieve not the Spirit. Just don't do it. So let's think about the conditions of this, and we just look back through the chapter. I'm not going to read all of it, but if you just go back and look at the first six verses, I I want you to notice, remember we're talking about the theme of the chapter has to do with walking worthy, and it tells us there in the first 16 verses all about walk worthy. Verse 17 through 24, it tells us to walk differently. Beginning in verse number 25 on down through this chapter, it tells us to walk in love. You get into chapter number 5 and it tells us to walk in light and to walk carefully. And so our text is telling us 
that the condition here is that we avoid anything that is going to offend, hurt, or bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. And and then Paul tells us how we can do that, because whenever we look at these things, we see the conditions, the conditions that, that end up grieving the Spirit of God. Verse number 25. And I know I've got to kind of hurry through these things, but I, I, I hope you get the picture that these, these are things here that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 25 would be falsehood. Falsehood has to be replaced with honesty. Remember, we're talking about the conditions now. In order that we will keep the commandment to not grieve the Spirit of God, we have to replace falsehood with honesty. Remember, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth, and naturally He is He is grieved whenever we're not honest. Verse 26, He speaks about anger. And so if I'm going to avoid grieving the Holy Spirit, you know, I've got to avoid undue anger. Be ye angry, He says, and sin not. Verse number 27 tells us that Satan must be resisted. And so we can't give in to the temptations that Satan puts before us. We've got to resist him because if we don't resist him, we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse number 28, you know, it tells us here that we're to be givers rather than getters. In other words, we're to be producers instead of parasites. So if we go through life just depending upon the contributions that we get from others, we go through life not being productive and so forth, then we are grieving the heart of God. And that's why he's telling us there in that verse that we're to give rather than to seek to get. Verse 29, if we're going to avoid grieving the Holy Spirit, we have to what? Control our tongue. Now, we've already talked about all of these things. I'm just reminding you of this. We have to control our tongue. Because when we don't, listen, it not only hurts somebody else, it does what? It grieves the heart of God. You know, somebody says something that hurts somebody else and their attitude is, oh, well, they'll get over it. Well, they'll probably get over it a whole lot quicker than the Holy Spirit will. I mean, it's a serious thing for us to misuse our tongue and, and then you, you've heard, especially sometimes couples that have been married, you know, for years and years, and they just oh, back and forth and back and forth, and, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, well, they don't mean anything by it. And uh, if you haven't been around that or anything, you wonder, wow, uh, this marriage is about to break up, and that's just their bannering back and forth. That's just what they do. But I just wonder if God's always pleased with that kind of stuff. I mean, after all, if the Bible says let your grace be seasoned with, your, your speech be seasoned with, with salt and, you know, the grace of God, uh, shouldn't it always be, you know, in kindness and love one toward another? So when we misuse the tongue, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse number 31, we have to put away, well, this is getting down to the nitty-gritty now, put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. And then we jump all the way to verse 32 where he tells us here, we have to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. Whenever you refuse to forgive somebody for what they've done, who do you think you're hurting by that? 
you're, not, you're probably not hurting the person. Jehovah, you don't know what they did to me. I, you, you know, but when you refuse to, to forgive them, you're doing something even more damaging to yourself. But not only that, it grieves the heart of God to think. Now get the picture. To think that God has forgiven us for Christ's sake. And then we turn around and refuse to forgive each other. I mean, how silly is that? How can we do that? Because none of us, none of us have been hurt or offended by others anywhere near to the extent that our sin has hurt the heart of God. So these are the conditions, but, but we have to consider the consequences of all of this. Because so many times, you know, we shrug our shoulders and we know what the Bible says, but, oh, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says. That would be ideal to be wonderful, but after all, none of us are perfect, are we? I've heard so many people say, none of us are perfect. We're all just human. I mean, we're all going to fail, you know, like that gives us a free pass to do it. But we better consider the consequences, and there are consequences if you don't believe that, whenever you get home, read uh, uh, Hebrews chapter number 3, starting at about verse 7 and uh, down through there. And there the Lord is speaking about the children of Israel and their refusal to enter into the promised land. Now remember, God has delivered them from Egyptian bondage. And God has given them exceeding great and precious promises about the promised land. Land flowing with milk and honey. You don't have to plant any vineyards. You don't have to build any houses. It's all there. It's all there for the taking. You just go, I've given it to you. And they get right up to the borderline at Kadesh Barnea, and they said, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going over there. There's giants in the land. And the Bible says, and God was grieved with them for 40 years. Forty long years they spent in the wilderness. You see, whenever we grieve the heart of God, we suffer. We suffer for several different reasons. And I've just, you know, got to hit and run here because I can't camp out on any of these points. But believe me, it'd be real easy to spend two hours just on this part. Whenever we sin and grieve the heart of God, we suffer as a result of it. Number one, we suffer because it causes God to withhold His blessings. God wants to do more for you than what you allow Him to do. The same thing's true of me. We just don't allow God to do everything that He wants to do. He wants to bless us above and beyond what He is able because we resist His will in some way for our life. And the children of Israel knew that maybe better than anybody of, of, of what great loss they incurred all as a result of the fact that they're not going to do what God wants them to do. And so as a result of that, why they suffered and God withheld his blessings. But secondly, you know, if it just ended with God saying, okay, I'm going to withhold my blessings from you, now that'd be bad. It'd be terrible. But there's more to it than that. Secondly, it causes God to take corrective measures, Hebrews chapter 5, or chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. It causes God to take corrective measures. 
Not only did the children of Israel spend, you know, those 40 years in the wilderness, but guess what? All of that generation that rejected him from 20 and above, all of them, what? They died in the wilderness. God took corrective measures. And that's why he says there in Hebrews chapter 12, When the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son he receives. No one ever sins successfully. When we sin against God, it causes us to lose the blessings that He wants to give us. It causes God to take corrective measures. And then it does something else. In some way or another, it causes us to lose the sense of God's love. I'm I'm not saying that our theology changes to the extent that we no longer believe that God is a God of love. That's not what I'm saying. And deep down in our heart, you know, we know that God loves us because the Bible says so, right? We've got to believe that. But we lose that sense of His love. You ever think about that verse there in Jude where it talks about us keeping ourselves in the love of God? Keeping ourselves in the love of God. Now, there's not anything you can do to cause God to love you or to stop loving you because God's going to love you regardless. His love is unconditional. You know, it's kind of like you couldn't stop the sun from shining regardless of how hard you try. But you can stand under a shade tree all day on a cold winter day and not get the benefits of the rays of sunshine. You've got to, you've got to move out from under the shade tree and get out there under the sun to enjoy the benefits of it. So when he says keep yourself in the love of God, he's not talking about doing something to cause God to love you. He's talking about, you know, you living in such a way that you can sense the love of God in your life. Not only that, but not only that, but whenever we whenever we refuse to cooperate with God, we grieve the heart of God, we miss our highest purpose for living in life. And as a result of that, we lose our, our peace and our joy and our sense of security. Isn't that what happened to David? Whenever you think about the terrible sin that David committed, and you go over there and read in Psalms 51, where finally at long last David comes to his senses, and he says in verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That's why I keep saying over and over again, the most miserable people on earth are not the dopeheads. The most miserable people on earth are, are not the alcoholics. The most miserable people on the earth are not those out there in the gutter somewhere. The most miserable people on earth are Christians who are out of the will of God. They are absolutely tormented day and night because the Holy Spirit, because He has been grieved, He will not allow them to sin successfully and to be at peace. And so whenever we sin, we lose that sense of God's love. We lose the sense of God's presence in our life. We miss our purpose for living in life, and that is to please God we also lose our ability to resist temptation. Every time you give in to a temptation, you make it easier for Satan to take advantage of you with another temptation. So the less you resist, the more 
susceptible you become to falling. Not only that, we lose comfort in God's trials. All through the Bible, you just go from the beginning to the end over and over again, we're reminded of God as a comforter, the Holy Spirit, you know, being our comforter or our helper. But whenever we get out of the will of God, when we grieve the heart of God, what happens? We lose that comfort that we ordinarily could enjoy. It's kind of like in order to get our attention, God has to knock the props out from under our legs and put us flat of our back before we'll finally look up. Not only that, but we lose our, we lose our assurance of answered prayer. <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to pray about something and really feel like God's going to give it to you when you know you've got sin in your heart. You can't really have assurance that God's going to answer your prayer, you know, as long as there's that active sin in your life. And the psalmist, you know, even spoke about that. If we're Because sin withholds good things from us. Sin is a hindrance to our prayers. Then another thing it does is causes us to lose our ability to produce fruit, according to John chapter 15. Remember the Lord said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And he said, without me you can do what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So in order to bear fruit, in order to be productive, fruitful Christians, we have to do what? Abide in Christ. And so whenever we sin, we break that fellowship with Christ. We don't ruin our relationship. We're still a child of God. The relationship is still intact. But the fellowship with God is hindered to the extent that because we have grieved the heart of God, now we're out of fellowship with God and no longer can we be fruitful as Christians. Then we lose the joy of fellowship with other believers whenever this happens because, you know, we, no man's an island. Whenever we sin against God, other people are always some way involved in that. We lose the ability to reflect the likeness of Jesus Christ in our life. And it's so important that we do that. Remember the little saying, you're the only Bible some people will ever read. And somebody added to that, I think, said, what if the print be blurred? What if they don't get the real, honest, true picture of what Christ is like? Whenever we grieve the heart of God, we lose the ability to reflect the image of Christ. And then we lose the rewards. Now listen to this. You know, I talked earlier about losing the blessings that God wants to give to us. But we lose the rewards, even rewards that we have already gained. If you don't believe that, go over and read what John wrote about it. Was it the... The third epistle, I think, or second, or one of those there. And he said, see that you lose not those things that you've gained. Things that you've already gained, you've laid up, and you're going to end up losing them as a result of the fact that you sin and you grieve the heart of God, and consequently you lose what you, what you really had. I mean, it was secured, but you turned around and threw it all away. Boy, sin is horrible. I've uh, mentioned several times before the experience I had in preaching in Eddyville, Kentucky. That happens to be where the state prison is. 
So during the day, I'd go down, and I mean, it's right down there on the banks of the lake. And so during the day, I, yeah, you guessed it, I'd go down there and walk around and fish. And, and so here I am on one side of the road, and all of these campers and these boaters and others are out there skiing on one side of the road. I'm standing there fishing, and just a matter of a hundred feet or so on the other side of the road over there is the Kentucky State Prison, those big walls and bars and, you know, chain-link fences and all of that. And those men, this must be torture. Those men are over there locked up in their prison cell, you know, but yet they can stand out there in the yard or whatever and look out there. They can see those families all out there together. They can see the fishermen and the water skiers and what have you. And, you know, they've just got to wonder at some point in time, all of that could have been mine had I not committed this crime. I lost all of that. And now look where I'm at. I'll tell you, folks, someday when we stand before the Lord and we think about what we could have had, we'll see what fools we've been for sinning and grieving the heart of God. And this is the worst part of it. It's not just in our suffering, not just in our regret, but the fact that God suffers. And it happens in several ways. For one thing, the Bible says our body is His temple. When we sin, we defile it. The Bible tells us that He is our teacher, and we refuse to listen. The Bible says that He is our guide, yet we refuse to follow. The Bible says He is our God, He is our Master, and yet we refuse to obey. The Bible says He's our Helper, and yet we turn around and resist Him. And it hurts the heart of God more than our mind could ever even imagine. I know I've mentioned it before, but when I was a boy, and I, there were several occasions where I said, and every kid, I guess, does this, at some point in time, I'm going to run away from home. And I even did one night, one afternoon, but, uh, but anyway, I didn't stay gone long. But on this occasion, I got really mad at Mom. And, 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 you know, I knew how far I could go usually, but I, and you reach that stage in life to where, now, if it had been Dad, it's another story, because I knew what I was going to get, and he took that belt off. He had one of those ranger belts, you know, it's got the, the little split in the end of it out there, and the little metal tip on the end of that, and man, oh man, I mean, whenever he got a hold of me, I mean, it was a spanking you didn't forget. But I'll never forget with mom, and you're growing up. Boy, I got in a knockdown drag out one, one evening with my aunt because I was, you know, I was about 12 or something like that, and I thought I was grown, and she's going to put me in our place. And boy, we had at it. We was tearing furniture up and everything there in the house. And so I, you probably getting the impression I was a little bratty. <laughs> well, anyway, I was younger than that. I don't know how old I was, six, I don't know. Would the story sound better if I said three or four? I, I don't know. I forgot how old I was. But anyway, this day, 
you know, whenever mom would give me a spanking, I'd grit my teeth, and you're not going to make me cry. You're not going to make me cry. And I was getting to the point, you know, I could resist uh, the crying, but I come up with this new technique. Just start saying bad, terrible, awful things. And, and I did. I started saying those things, and I hate you. I'm going to run away. I don't ever want to see you again. And finally, Mama quit, and Mama went in, and I didn't know where she went. And finally, I heard her, and she'd gone back there in that little back bedroom. She was laying across the bed, just bawling her eyes out. I, I'd, I'd never seen Mama cry over that before. She'd cried at funerals and things like that. But I'd never made Mama cry before. And I took it as long as I could. Boy, it hurt me worse than getting hit with a two before when I realized that my mama was laying there crying because I had hurt her so deeply. And finally, I went in there and crawled up next to her, and I began to cry and, 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 and to apologize, Mama. I didn't mean that. I am so sorry. And let me tell you, I've said all of that for a reason, folks. Surely, surely we all know enough that we'd never want to hurt somebody that we love like that. But let me tell you, it is even worse when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's as bad as it gets, folks. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. And we've just looked at all of these, all of these conditions that we have to meet, the things that we have to do, and the consequences, the consequences of failing to keep this command. And so, we come down here to the very end of the service. The only thing I know to say is, grieve not the Holy Spirit. It doesn't pay. Let's stand, Father. How we thank you for the warnings that you give us in your word, for the instructions that you give us in your word, for the promises that even whenever we have failed so miserably and we have hurt you so deeply that you've given us the wonderful promise that if we will confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, tonight, may we be of that mindset. May the Holy Spirit reveal to us the failures in our life that has grieved His heart. And may we act on that just as I did as a little boy crawled up in bed with Mama. Lord, help us tonight to get on our knees and say, Dear Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I'm so sorry for what I did to others. Dear God, forgive me of my sin. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. And now as we lift our voice in song.